everybody, welcome back to another great episode of Hard in the Paint Podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about our favorite basketball association. I'm your host, Matt, and again, I'm joined by none other than Michael. Today, we've got a pretty interesting episode for you. Uh, we've got some news in terms of the Brian Colangelo Sixers burner accounts stuff. And as well as our finals game one recaps and predictions associated with those. But before we get to our show today, we have a sponsor for this episode. Uh, and we'd like to say thank you to Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club carries everything you need as a man to look, feel, and smell your best. They have a product for anything you need to get ready for the bathroom in the morning or maybe after work to freshen up. If they have shave butter that goes on clear when you're shaving so that you can see exactly where your razor's cutting. They have body wash, they have shampoo, they got, you know, toothpaste, deodorant. They even got these one white butt Charlie things that make your butt feel great after you poop. And they're all made with top shelf ingredients and quality that just won't break your budget like in-store things will. So a great way to try out these products is for $5, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Pack. It comes with uh, the Body Cleanser, the One Wipe Charlies, the Shave Butter, and their Special Six Blade Executive Razor. And they'll continue to resupply the blades for you every month. So go to dollarshaveclub.com, use promo code slash hard in the paint to get that starter pack for $5. Again, that's dollarshaveclub.com slash hard in the paint. And let's get this show rolling with the uh, Sixers burner accounts tweets storm that's been going on. So break this down for the people, if you would. Uh, yeah, so basically Brian Colangelo is the uh, 76ers GM, and he's been accused of, uh, over, over different Twitter uh, accounts, of criticizing Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz and uh, just kind of outlining different uh, strategies um, involving the team, as well as uh, praising the decisions made by the 76ers GM, which is Brian Colangelo, as well as criticizing some former Sam Hinky types of decisions. And basically it's just um, a, a PR nightmare, uh, really, for this man. Um so far, there hasn't really been any impact besides just humiliation. Um, but uh, kind of seems a lot like Kevin Durant earlier, but I don't know if there are any other parallels that you see, Matt. You know, I heard something the other day. I wasn't sure if it's a rumor or if it's confirmed at all, but one of the Twitter account phone numbers attached to it is attached to Brian Colangelo's wife's phone number. I, <laughs> that seems weird to me, but... Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how this shakes out because this could very well just be some like uh, propaganda type thing to try and convince LeBron not to go to Philly, you know? Because I'm sure LeBron, you know, he's had his struggles with GMs and upper management that just hasn't been officially professional or consistent or had their head on their shoulders the right way, so... Uh, you know, I, I see that as a knock for that potential LeBron to the process narrative, but, uh, you know, this could pose a threat. If if big stuff shakes out, you know, maybe Embiid or Ben walks in a year or two. Insane. Yeah, uh, I think it's, like, interesting that the 76ers are actually investigating uh, these accounts uh, based on the Ringer's report. Um maybe it does have some gravitas to it um maybe there's more to come out uh over the course of the next couple weeks um you know stuff that's trying to walk its way out let's talk about uh the finals and the shoes that are on display in this series one of the more interesting narratives yeah so the the nba of course is the premier premier sport for accessories and footwear and yeah, yeah, I mean, it's basically, yeah. yeah, it's a sport built around the shoe. Really so, the only piece of gear that 
differentiates players. I mean, yeah, I've had bands and our bands and stuff, but all the tech is in the shoes these days compared to what they were 30 years ago. And of course, in this series, your biggest stars are mostly Nike. So LeBron's obviously wearing his LeBron 15s. Um, funnily enough, a couple years ago, he was wearing his Soldier line, which is his more budget-friendly line of LeBron-type shoes. Um, but we'll see. He normally can bounce between the two however he wants. But I think this year, mostly, he's been wearing the 15s as his signature. Uh, and then KD, of course. He's got his own Nike line. I think they're on KD 11s now is the current year. Yeah, the KD, KD 11s that he's been wearing all season have been looking been looking pretty good. Um, I would say those are my standout favorites right now. I definitely like the look of those the best out of the ones that we'll all get to, but uh, on a personal, having tried them on level, I'm not a huge fan of them. They're just, they're really narrow and they don't feel like they give a lot of uh, like medial support. I mean, it just matches his personality. Yeah, it matches like the Slim Reaper-esque <laughs> nature of his figure. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then Under Armour's golden boy, Steph Curry's got the Curry 5s this year. And I haven't had a chance to try those on, but those look amazing to me. Nice. I have, a pair other, of, uh, uh, I have a pair of Curry 1s, and I've tried on the 2s and 3s, yeah. and they kind of have this weird bulkiness aspect to it that really, you know, it kind of helps with a lot of his early ankle problems. So it's interesting to see him wear the lowest, lower varieties. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually didn't know this, but like uh, Clay's, like Clay Thompson's, uh, he's signed with like a Chinese brand. And yeah, I'm like, so that's, Anta, that's such yeah. a weird move like i don't understand why like draymond has a uh has like a sneaker but uh koi has to go all the way to china it seems kind of weird so anta signed a couple people in the past i think they had a little bit of a stint with like who's like tony parker or mm -hmm. i think george hill used to be anta or maybe that's peak i don't know anta and peak are like the two chinese brands and it's hard to keep track of them sometimes because yeah, yeah. it's George just like Hill those, is, uh, those off players that have one randomly. Yeah, George Hill's with Peak. Okay, yeah. So, I think Tony Parker's Peak as well. I think I think Dwight might have had an Anta run for a minute or two. And then Draymond's got the uh, the team brand sneaker, so that's like the one <laughs> yeah. that they'll give to like college teams or, yeah, yeah. or AAA teams. Uh, he's got the Zoom Rev 18. Personally, I've never been a fan of the Zoom Rev line. They've mm. just been somewhere in between like a Hyper Dunk variant. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to go with the Hyper Dunks. And then if I ever go with the Hyper Dunk, it's like, well, why don't I just get like a, a Kobe or something? So personally, not a fan of it, but it. You know, for not being a triple A offensive superstar, it's cool that he has his own uh his own personal edition. Yeah, I mean Kobe's had his uh injury problems in the past and uh right now there's some injury problems on the Warriors uh roster uh with Andre Iguodala missing game one of the NBA finals. Um do you think there was an impact with Iguodala not being on the floor last night? Oh, so this is a big, big deal, right? Like this is the this was the, the moniker that people said, "Oh, the Rockets can beat the Warriors if Iguodala's not there." And <laughs> you know, LeBron scored fifty-one points last night. I think I'm, I'm really good. At, yeah, and it was efficient. It wasn't like a sloppy fifty-one. It was uh, thirty-two shots. So pretty efficient. Stuff from LeBron. I think you also miss Iguodala on the offensive end because they're playing this weird, almost tall lineup with the Warriors where it's like Steph Clay and then KD, Draymond, and Looney or Jordan Bell or whatever. And that third spot would really be Iguodala in most regular cases. And then they would move KD over to the big man or that weird hybrid four spot. And I think not having Iggy there kind of 
it messes with their rotation a little bit that I don't think offensively they're entirely adjusted to. I think defensively they can they they had spots last night where it made it work. Uh yeah, I mean if if Kevin Durant gets pushed back to the four, then he would match up with like Kevin uh Kevin Love, um, who came back from his concussion and looked pretty much like he um did in that Raptor series a lot last night. Kevin Love looked pretty good. Um, obviously not too much on defense when he was guarding Durant, but definitely in the kind of low post, as well as a lot of the off the ball movement. Um, I saw a lot of sets where Kevin Love was running around, not necessarily being in the play, but at least opening up some lane, lanes for uh, James to make a move. Um, so it's kind of good to see him you know, kind of have some movement in the offense, just kind of uh, change it up from this kind of ISO situation. I really enjoyed seeing how Kevin Love was playing. I was kind of worried that the concussion was going to knock him out for game one, but I guess he didn't have any complications, and I, they made a very concerted effort to get him the ball early in that game, get him some mm-hmm. jumpers going so that they had to play defense on him later on. And he was getting a lot of uh, mid-range face-up shots, which is a little different than what, how they historically have played him. Usually they get him in that 10-foot low post range and let him do a couple back-down dribbles and then go for something. But that that game, they got him like 14-footer face-ups, which is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, it might just be Cleveland kind of feeling it out. Um, it kind of felt a lot like that both ways, where both teams were kind of trying different uh, adjustments on offense and defense. Um, just kind of feel, you know, feel out what each other were going to do and then adjusting based on that. Um, like last night, I saw a lot of LeBron starting out on the far wing um, and kind of an almost like goading uh, Golden State to double team him so he could kick out. And Golden State, you know, they wouldn't necessarily bail on that. They would just sort of... Uh, kind of creep towards that side and then he would uh kind of make a move so um kind of interesting chess match i think between uh lebron and tyloo on one side and steve kerr on the other um but yeah i mean i feel like iggy's uh presence could have really changed this game from what it was which was overtime game to something where maybe golden state wins by 15. Yeah, 100%. It it felt like LeBron had the momentum control that most of that game. There's maybe a, a section in that third quarter where it slipped a little bit and the overtime looked pretty much Warriors dominated, but say for 90% of that game, LeBron had the the reins in his hand. Yeah, he did a really good job at uh dictating tempo on both sides of the ball as well as playing both sides of the ball. Um, it's probably the most defense I've seen LeBron play in five months. Um, like he looked pretty fresh. So I think uh, I'm not exactly sure what the uh, final schedule is. I know that there's a couple days in between the games one and two, and then uh, I think there's a th- two-day gap between games two and three. Uh, so maybe that'll kind of help keep him fresh. Um, so that's really the only way Cleveland's going to be able to keep it going. Someone who did not look fresh last night was JaVale McGee getting posterized by the rim after getting an injection of confidence from Steve Kerr to come in in the third quarter. Yeah, I I, I missed some of that quarter because I was uh, making some dinner, but I saw JaVale McGee in the game, and I was like, what the heck? They haven't played <laughs> this guy in a couple games. Like, I don't think they played him at all in the Rockets series. Like, and I don't, I don't even I think know if they put him minutes. in the Pelican series think, either. Yeah, I think he had about three or four minutes logged. And you could tell he was uh, having a hard time keeping up with the flow of that game. Like going, so watching him run up and down the court just looked so, so painful to me. He was just like really heaving to get down there, and then he whiffed, whiffed a layup, and whiffed a dunk, and whiffed some some rotations. 
Yeah, I thought he had a good uh, run in the first three minutes of the third quarter. Uh, just to provide some variety um, from kind of perimeter shooting. Um, but then it almost seemed as soon as uh, the, the, the rim uh, dunk mishap, you know, it just sort of demoralized him to the point that Steve Kerr went back to Looney and Bell and kind of um, left the low post kind of game um, and basically kept the lineup small uh, from then on. But uh, speaking of uh, dumbass moments, let's get to the moment from game one of the NBA Finals with J.R. Swish Smith uh, doing perhaps the greatest checked in a fool moment of all time where he didn't realize what the score was. Uh, walk us through that one, Matt. So there's about four, I think it's 4.7 seconds left on the clock. Uh High game at 107, or no, it's 106. Uh, George Hill gets fouled. So George Hill's at the free throw line. He's shooting two because they're in the bonus. He makes the first one. It's a tie game at 107. Uh, you got JR on the, uh, get, trying to grab a rebound. He's asking his team before the shot goes up, you know, what's the score? You know, we taking a timeout. Doesn't really get a response, but... Anyways, George Hill shoots the second free throw. It rims out, but J.R. Smith jumps over KD, gets the rebound, and then proceeds to dribble it out to the three-point line. The time's ticking down from from four point seven. He's dribbling it. He's looking at LeBron. He's looking at he's looking at his. Uh, I think Kyle Korver's in in the in the corner, and he throws it over there. And the guy jacks up a three. When they could have easily had a timeout, could have passed it to LeBron, could have just shot it up right away. And then you get this meme of LeBron trying to shout at J.R. Smith, explaining to him what's going on. And that meme is now the meme of the month for the internet. Um, so this is yeah. the, definitely the probably the most boneheaded play we've had <laughs> all this year. I think all of last year. Maybe not the year before, but it's it's definitely a a notch against JR's resume. Is it weird that if this happened in PNC Arena, I would just chalk it up to NC State shit? Um, but because it happened uh, in the context of Game 1, this might go down as one of the worst decisions ever made by a basketball player. Well, so funny enough... Uh, I would have to agree with you on that. <laughs> it goes up there. There's there's another play that happened. I think it was when the Mavs used to be good, like a long time ago. And I think it's I think it's Derek Harper. His team is actually. Uh, yes. I think he's down points, and he just dribbles the ball up the court and dribbles out the clock. And then his whole team's like, "What are you doing?" And then the time expires, and then he's like, "Oh, I thought we were tied." Yeah, I think it was one of those where he got he got the uh, the shot clock confused with the game clock, um, and so he I think there was like four seconds left on the sh or on the game clock, but only two left on the shot clock, uh, and he basically walked away from it. Speaking of this moment, so uh, interesting. The two minute report just came out uh, about three four minutes ago, and I'm scrolling through it and. Uh, before we talk about some of the other uh, poor, piss-ass calls in this game, I'm just going to jump down towards the end uh, where uh, Smith, JR, makes this, uh, this rebound and then runs away from the basket. Uh, they have listed at 4.7 seconds left in the game a correct non-call on Kevin Dur on JR. Uh, creating contact with Kevin Durant, so that way Kevin Durant could not retrieve the rebound. So there was a non-call in the game, and the report has said that it is the correct decision. Um, could you have imagined them calling that in the situation? So I was watching Kevin Durant on that because I think I was texting you most of the game that, hey, Kevin Durant well, it doesn't look like he's hustling for rebounds even though he's the tallest guy on the court. And I think it... It should have bit him in the ass right here, but luckily it didn't. 
and when when you see the play you can see jr just elevates over kd he doesn't really go into him so much as i think an over the back would warrant and kd also i think it would help if he jumped into it a little bit like at all so that it looked mm -hmm. like he was being over the backed upon if that makes sense but um i think it's a correct non-call from what i remember yeah, another uh, call that seemed really peculiar at the time was uh, with about 36.4 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Kevin Durant driving towards the basket and LeBron taking a charge block, um, kind of one of those split decisions uh, where a ref uh, on each side gave it. Um, and they reviewed it, and they said it was a shooting foul for Kevin Durant with LeBron blocking. Um, and in the report, they have listed it as the correct call. Um, any thoughts on that? Whoa. Okay. So a lot of people argue this is the play that led up to the J.R. Smith boneheaded play. And yeah, that's correct. But you can say that about a lot of things in basketball. But besides, that's besides the point. So when you're watching this play, when I watched it in full time, I thought it was initially a blocking call because of the way that the, the angle of the camera and it looked like KD had kind of tilted his body in a way to avoid the contact. Normally when you're doing these crazy layups like that and the offensive player uh, jerks his body in a weird way to try and dodge the charge, usually they call that a block because he's being impeded on his next motion, I guess. Um, However, in this particular instance, when they went to the replay, I thought it looked even more like a charge. Mm. And normally when this is called on the court, they really are only able to review it to see if the defending player in position has been inside the circle when the, the contact occurred. And it was very clearly not. Now, maybe on the camera angle, it was a little hard to tell because there were some bodies in the way, but looking at the replay, it was very obvious that LeBron's maybe a foot in front of the circle. So no question there. And then the next question comes in, oh, is it a charge or a block? And that's something they normally do not use replay to review because it is not a very binary foul call. You know, a replay is great in the sense that you know, if a guy's out of bounds, you can review it and see it in this binary system. Oh, he's in. Oh, he's out. Or like for a two-point or a three-point shot. Oh, he's in. Oh, he's out. And when the replay all then makes the thing, you basically re-roll the, the judgment call because it's not a clear-cut uh, foul of any variety. Then it's like, why even use the replay? Like, why why should there have been a a replay on that then and that's 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 upset people on both sides of the fan fan aisle yeah i think i think this game particularly down the stretch had a lot of uh non-calls uh kind of disadvantage towards lebron james um he got a couple of clean strips of the ball on kevin durant um as well as i do think it was a, a charge um, an offensive foul on that particular play. Um, but I do think the officiating in this game wasn't particularly good. Um, very reminiscent of game uh, games five and six in the Western Conference Finals, um, as well as some in the earlier series between uh, Boston and Milwaukee. So I think overall, the officiating in these playoffs have not been very good. Um, and I thought it was really weird to see Tony Brothers out there on the floor. Um, you know, he's kind of got the reputation of being a terrible ref. So to be given kind of game one, I'm not usually an advocate for um, refs costing a team a game or something like that. Um, you know, I think they can kind of influence it a lot, but um, I do think you're right. Like ultimately up to the team to kind of make these calls. Um, but yeah, according in this uh, in this uh, two-minute report, there was a only one. Let me see, one I believe incorrect call. Um, 
And that was uh, Draymond fouling LeBron, which was not called, but should have been. Um, everything else seems to have checked out from the uh, NBA committee. I think that's a little insane to me. Well, one, why can't we just have a full game report? I know they do it anyways, but, like, come on, guys. But, you know, watching that game, it really felt like the a lot of the ref calls were particularly against LeBron James. Like, not just, like, the Cavs in general, like, you sometimes get, but it felt like it felt like the refs almost had it out for LeBron. And I'm not being, yeah. like, a sympathizer <laughs> or a hater. Like, I'm I'm personally against LeBron, but, like, I got to give it to him, man. It, it felt like he just wasn't getting equal treatment. You know, you mentioned the strip a couple times, and then there was one particular instance where, you know, he goes for a strip on KB. It gets called. You see the replay. It looks super clean. On the other end of the court, KD strips him. It's clearly not clean on the replay, and there's no foul call. And it's just like, ooh, that that consistency there really bugged me. And I know it's hard to see in full time, real time, and I get that. But um, you know, those those guys are refereeing the finals because they're the best, and it's as a as a watcher and someone that enjoys a very unbiased refereed game, it's hard to see their arguments for some of these one-sided type calls. Yeah, I mean, this is going to go down as the J.R. Smith, you know, kind of debacle game. But discounting overtime, what I saw was about 42 minutes of LeBron being the best player on the court both sides um with about six minutes there in the third quarter of Steph um but ultimately I you know really you know I kind of felt for LeBron um normally you know for a guy who has that kind of success and wealth and all this other stuff but uh I think it basically satisfied the idea that LeBron deserves the title but not Cleveland um or that LeBron should basically be you know, whatever it is, blessed to leave the city of Cleveland now. Um, he definitely doesn't really owe him anything after this. Um, and the comparisons with Jordan should basically always stop with Jordan had Pippen and LeBron had J.R. Smith. Um, so yeah, you're you're right here. It's I think people can give LeBron the excuse now to leave cleveland and not feel too bad about it because chances are jr is not going to get <laughs> traded um chances are tristan thompson's not gonna go anywhere you know look at the Cavs bench like i feel like you know steady osman and rodney hood and kendrick perkins don't deserve another ring like you know I'm I'm all aboard LeBron getting a ring for how he played, and this was his best performance by far. Uh, and honestly, that's what should be the headline: is LeBron like doubly outperforms KD? Like that's what it should have been. But because KD played really bad this game, and I think that's what should get noticed. But the only thing getting noticed is J.R. Smith screwing the game, and then the Cavs actually not playing an overtime period at all. Yeah, so let's jump into this. Kevin Durant versus LeBron James. Um, I saw them guarding each other a lot until they kind of forced the switch to play ISO, especially uh, down in the fourth quarter where um, that's really what you want is, you you know, just a, a go-to score. Um, did you see anything else that kind of explained why sort of LeBron outplayed Kevin Durant, even though last year in the finals Kevin Durant clearly outplayed LeBron? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, I th- I honestly think, this is just my tinfoil hat going off, but <laughs> I think something's up with Kevin Durant. I think something's up with his legs, because he doesn't seem quick. He doesn't seem like he can jump as high. Like, you know, he's coming off these, uh, you know, some floppy type action or a couple curls off a screen. He's getting the ball, and, you know, he's getting... He's getting pushed down low by, you know, George Hill or Kyle Korver or, you know, 
whoever the heck's guarding him, and he's not just going up over them, and he's not just going straight through them or around them. Like, he's... He doesn't look like the same player he did a year ago or even, you know, three years ago on that last Thunder team. Do you think it's, like, fatigue since uh, Curry missed so many games that he had to kind of pick up the load a little bit? Or do you think... Or do you think it's something more of like a <clears throat> like a mental fatigue? Because um, I saw a lot of chemistry issues between the two, but I'll let you get your take before I uh, jump into what I think Kevin Durant's uh, problem is. I don't... I, it could be regular fatigue. Mm-hmm. I don't know... I, I don't think he's had any tweaks or anything in these playoffs, so I would expect that his fatigue would be over by now. Because I don't think he's been playing, you know, 40-plus minutes a night. Because the I like Golden State that they typically do a you know a ten or thirteen man rotation. You know they like to play more players. Shout out to Swaggy P playing a good game yesterday. But <laughs> I know I was looking forward to the Swaggy P Jr. Smith, you know heat check duel, and we just never got it. Yeah, um, but but he's he's not. I don't know. He's just not. It doesn't look like he's really sweating out there like he doesn't look like he's trying to earn it like he did last year maybe he's like just complacent or maybe maybe their chemistry is off without Iguodala but I mean he's in the locker room right like he's with the team so he should should still be there you know talking to them being in spirit so and of course everyone's been knocking these Kevin Durant isos and I think I agree with that is if Kevin Durant is getting stripped by a smaller player and, you know, shooting 0 for 5 in the fourth quarter and only making points off that controversial foul call, and he's the best small forward in the league, according <laughs> to last year's finals, I, I'm i very, very questionable about, you know, how I, honestly, like... Could you have just had Harrison Barnes in place of Kevin Durant last night and still won the game? Uh, no, because the Cavs still have a J.R. Smith. Um, yeah, I think I think there's actually three kind of kind of reasons why Katie's uh, performance has been suffering. I think one is his shoes. I think he's got to get some new kicks. Uh, number two, I think Steve Kerr retiring. I think he. I think Katie knows, and it's kind of looming on his mind that like. That title window is really closing. And number three, I think, uh, kind of least important, I think is the chemistry between Steph and Katie. Um, for a lot of the stretches, especially uh, in game seven of the Western Conference Finals and the third quarter of last night's game one, um, I sort of saw this like battle of wills between Steph and Katie, um, where the first six minutes of the third quarter really belonged to Steph in that kind of... Um, Pull up from three, dribble penetration, kick back out, look for Clay, look for Draymond, get Draymond to be involved. Um, and then he subbed out, I think, with like four minutes left in the third quarter. And Katie kind of then took over the show. And it became more of that we got to run everything through Kevin Durant. Um, and that sort of alienated everybody else. Um including JaVale McGee, who was on the floor. And I think those chemistry issues um, are a larger symptom of what's going on at Golden State. Uh, I think Kevin Durant's going to be looking for his money uh, in the summer um, since he's only on that one-year deal. Um, You know, is he willing to sacrifice even more to put together another title team or to deepen their roster? you know, I think these, you know, maybe it's not as concrete as it was last year when he had to go and get a title. Um, but I think Kevin Durant's basically trying to reverse engineer his legacy um, about how great he is. And it kind of feels a lot like he's writing the coattails of uh, kind of that, the, that Golden State team that won 73 games without him. Um, and it kind of feels like he's trying to tag along and then be the but score in the fourth, which he really wasn't. Um, I think there's there's this kind of you know kind of imbalance between Steph and Katie that last year it didn't seem to be a problem, but this year it's trying to show up. 
Um, and maybe that's the, you know, you, you win a title and now everybody, everybody wants more, right? Everybody wants more money. Everybody wants more playing time. Everybody wants more of the spotlight. Um, but, or, you know, maybe it's just a one game fluke. Um, you know, compared to last year, when they would, it felt like they slotted KD into the Golden State system. Of yeah, offense. it just worked. Yeah, yeah. It, it just worked because it's like, oh, you're just getting a upgrade in every way to what Harrison Barnes used to be on that team. Makes perfect sense. This year, however, it looks like they have like hybridized this. All right, we're gonna do our gold patented Golden State formula for half the quarter, and then the other half of the quarter, we're gonna do Steph or KD play through ISO type stuff. And I am not a fan of that because it feels like it takes the, that's such a flow and rhythm predicated team that kind of dipping out of that rhythm is what's killer and if you looked at it that's what kind of screwed him in a couple of the Houston games too was trying to play iso ball and play through ball yeah and I think I think this idea of flow like so far, it doesn't look like Golden State really in the in the first half of almost any game, um, besides like that blowout against Houston and some of those games against the Pelicans uh, in the playoffs. It doesn't look like Golden State's really clicking in the first half, almost like they're on like cruise control, and then they try and get something going in the third quarter to really break open break open the game. Um, I don't know if Katie is sort of the answer to getting them out of that kind of malaise in the first half. Uh, it, it just kind of seems like Golden State is kind of slow, but they're still so great, right? Like with their shooters and their spacing and their tactics and Kerr's adjustments that like by the third quarter, they're going to be fine. Um, but I think Cleveland like almost kind of caught him out with LeBron really slowing that pace down to the point that, you know, at times Draymond looked like the most useless player out there. I mean, if, I mean, of course he hits like that big three at the end, but yeah. for large stretches of the game, it looked like, you know, Tristan Thompson and Jeff Green were out playing Draymond. Hey, Jeff Green's a great point. That dude's really been playing out of his mind the past two weeks. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that him and Corver weren't the two guys kind of shoring up. Uh, the Cavs at the end of the game um, instead of JR uh, just because Corver's a little taller so you know their their strategy definitely seemed to be go to the boards you know pound it pound it there and be Golden State that way um, as a way of dictating pace um, and the three ball just didn't seem as relevant as it has in kind of previous spots in these finals right like both conference finals game sevens the three ball was almost like or the lack of it you know falling was almost like a like a like a narrative in itself um but i think kind of going forward both teams are gonna adjust to focus more on the three and i think we're gonna see a lot of shitty basketball uh coming up in games two and three yeah, I'm really concerned because uh, neither team shot the three particularly well this game either, except for Steph. I think Steph was the only one with a good three-point shot rating. Yeah, um, doing his usual Steph thing. Yeah, and I felt like, I don't know, the Warriors just felt better with him running the show. Not for the playthrough, but the the patented Warriors formula for that mm. for that third quarter comeback stretch. All right, so uh, let's 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 dive into some rapid fire player ratings. All right, on a on a kind of A B C D F uh, scale, and we'll skip Jr. Um, you know, just with obvious reasons. Uh, what's 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 your grade for Steph? So we're doing we're doing a letter grade scale here. Yeah, let's do letter grades and let's do plus minus. So uh, let's start with Steph. I think I'd give Steph a, a solid. I'd give him a, like an A minus. I feel like he did what he was supposed to do. He was a momentum changer, and sure he could have shot the lights out and scored fifty or whatever, but he did. He did like just the right amount, I think. 
Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant gets like a C minus. He like, like I've been saying a lot, it looks like his legs aren't there. He's not hustling on the boards. He's not doing like the help D like he did last year. Um, his offense is questionable at times. And he really should should be like, you know, kind of that equalizer in terms of LeBron's just straight up points. Uh, Clay Thompson. I think Clay made up for KD in that game, so I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him a B plus. You know, he he had that knee tweak, so I'm gonna have to dock him a few points for leaving the court. But that was just some weird slip thing. So, uh, Draymond. Draymond, uh, I guess a B, maybe maybe a little less. Do you want to give him two grades? Do you want to give him a grade for regulation and then a grade for the overtime? <laughs> so yeah, that that was crazy. He really he made those couple of clutch threes at the end of the game there that put him over the top. But I don't think he really did much before then besides play some okay defense, get some fouls, a uh, couple assists here and there. You know, here's something that we haven't talked about yet is uh, the little scuffle at the end with Tristan Thompson. You know, what, what's going on with that? Because it looks to me like uh, Tristan Thompson fouled a guy after he got ejected from the game. And that's not kosher with the league for any reason. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it was just uh, bad blood from two teams that have been seeing each other for the last four years. And um, obviously the way that, you know, Cleveland was kind of in this miserable state after the whole jr you know let me run the opposite way uh to the game one victory and then i think just kind of almost like poor sportsmanship kind of you know kind of these like eight-year-old kid kind of things like it just kind of felt so overblown do you think he'll Um, get fined or like suspended or just get a nasty letter he might get a fine. He really shouldn't be suspended. It was a it was a bullshit call to eject him. I think they called it a flagrant two, which I think is absurd. Um, give him like a ten ten thousand dollar fine. I mean, just move on. Um, all right, uh, Javale McGee with player rating. Uh, I give him a B for Javale, <laughs> but that's like a C for everyone else, right? <laughs> like, sure he played good for JaVale in the postseason, but that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> Alright, often called the JaVale McGee of the Midwest, Larry Nance Jr. He gave some good minutes there. I think it was, what, the second quarter? He he has a couple clutch rebounds, um, played some okay defense. It certainly did better than he did in the previous series. Uh, Tristan Thompson. I didn't feel like I didn't feel that uh crazy Tristan Thompson offensive reboarding, rebounding like monster that you that you mm-hmm. felt last year this game. Like, you know, in the past couple of years it's like can't let this guy get anywhere close to our backboard. But tonight or I guess last night, I didn't didn't feel that too much. So I'd say I'd give him a C. Yeah, I think he's still suffering from the curse. Uh George Hill. Uh, you, you take this one. I don't. I don't have a feel on George Hill. George Hill. I thought. I thought he did all right for what he was asked to do. Um, I thought he gave them, you know, enough on defense and enough, you know, spacing and enough ball handling on offense. Um, so I mean, for what he was asked to do, I, I mean, it's just kind of a solid B. Like, I mean, you know, in terms of you know, he kind of almost had one of those like intangible games where. You can kind of see it when he's driving towards the basket looking for a foul, or he actually had like a steal and he dove on the ground. So I'd give him a B. Um, all right, I got two more for you. LeBron James. Can I give a rating higher than A plus? I mean, holy smokes. <laughs> all right, let's uh let's scale this then. Let's uh in the in in the little LeBron James scale, where does this game one performance uh put him? You know, if we if we if we normalize the scale a little bit, I think by by box score, this is like 
one of his top five performances of all time. Mm-hmm. It's it's up there with the crazy Pistons game where he just scored like twenty some points in a row. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that that is still probably in terms of like um, just kind of an individual performance. Um, you know, because that was kind of like his breakout playoff performance. Uh, but obviously, I mean, this game, I mean, if he had stolen game one on Oakland's, uh, sorry, Golden State's home four, um, I mean, that would have sent the world reeling. Um, last but not least, loved Kevin Love. A quiet game from both of those guys. I liked Kevin Love in the first half. In the second half, not a fan. He got he got started getting smoked on defense by Steph Curry. Like, like they would do the switch to get Love on Curry, and Curry would just drive past him, which is good. That means Curry is feeling good this year, as opposed to the past couple of years. So I'd give him, I'd give him like a B minus, because they can't, they have to do this weird offense defense thing with him, and that kind of sucks. All right, so that kind of wraps up our game one uh, of the NBA Finals. Um, let's look forward to maybe the rest of the series. Um, kind of put this more in the context of basketball history. Um, do we have any sponsorship ads to go through first, though, Matt? Well, when talking about historic things, you know, one of the the most historic things that has happened in in recent history is the the introduction of the gosh i don't have my sheet pulled up though i'm sorry (laughs) that's fine that because speaking of buddy cop films there is a movie out right now starring lebron james and alden called Solo, A Star Wars Story. When a Rebel Alliance mission goes horribly wrong, the galaxy is faced with dire consequences. When young Jedi Han Solo must take it upon himself to fulfill his destiny alongside his former mentor. I wonder who that could be. We'll have to watch to find out. However, as always, the Galactic Empire questions Han Solo's loyalty in a race against time itself, Han Solo must elude space assassins, former NBA players, and new enemies while trying to make the Kessel Run in legendary record time. Solo, a Star Wars story. The greatest NBA movie to hit the screens since Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew, do you think he should be in the talk for finals mvp candidates matt you know uncle drew has just had a incredible performance these past couple days i haven't seen anybody shake and bake you know since white chocolate in that way i i've just oh, been matt, so matt, we're, we're not talking about all the previous nba finals we're talking about round four between the Cavs and the warriors Round four? I thought this was game one. Where am I? What am I doing? Have I been shoved into the future all of a sudden? Have I, uh, what's going on? <laughs> so is there any credence to uh, Kevin Durant possibly repeating as finals MVP? Off of game one? Absolutely not. Off of the fact that... Um, he is the biggest namesake player on that team and he had it last year and he's the matchup to LeBron James and he could very well turn it on in the future uh yes however if I had to pick right now I would pick Steph for the Warriors and I'll assume LeBron for the Cavs no I'd pick uh I'd pick Seti Osman for the Cavs okay just making sure uh so one thing I kind of thought before the series started, I thought Golden State's strategy going into the series should really be Katie, focus on Katie uh, in the first half and then open up the game plan for Steph in the third. And between the combination of Kevin Durant in the first half and Steph in the third quarter, the Warriors won't have to even play a fourth because they'll be up by so many points. 
Clearly, that did not pan out. But I do think that that could be the way for Golden State to uh, put the you know the the foot on the pedal and really uh, you know kill this series in a sweep or a gentleman sweep that most people were really thinking. Um, and I thought for the Cavs, I, you know, kind of looking at this on paper, I, I just, yeah, I, I was really trying to find a way of making it work. And so I figured what they would do is slow down the game, which I think they did relatively well, especially when LeBron was on the floor. Um, but what they should focus on is going all out, you know, playing as hard as they can for games one and game four. Um, and try and knot the series up at 2-2, two, two, uh, heading back to uh, the Oracle for Game 5. Um, and then I assume the Warriors would bounce back, take Game 5, and then the Cavs should again employ just kind of like an all-out desperation mode in Game 6 to force a Game 7. Um, so essentially, over the course of six games, the Cavs would only play three, two of which would be at home, that would give LeBron enough rest to possibly put forth this kind of effort that we saw in game one in a potential game seven, and the Cavs would take the championship. Uh, I do realize that does seem quite reasonable, but uh, that seems to have been broken already. So, Matt, how does the series shape up for you in terms of kind of an entertainment spectacle value? Personally, the most entertaining part of that game last night was the third quarter when Steph started started doing his thing and Golden State looked like Golden State from two years ago. I enjoy this series the most when it's Steph and Clay running around screens, balls hopping across the across the key, you know, multiple touches, multiple dribbles, you know out to an Iguodala three or a high screen and roll and then Draymond goes downhill and passes it to a corner three or something like that I really hate this series from entertainment value when it's two passes up at the top Kevin Durant on like J.R. Smith and then it's almost like a Carmelo type isolation thing or it's just like come on man like I know it should work and it should be good but it's just not exciting yeah, I, I really kind of thought this game was a lot like the the Super Bowl that just happened a couple months ago where uh, the Eagles and the Patriots kind of went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, scoring. And I really thought it was an actual, like, atrocious and ugly game, uh, even though it was kind of widely praised as, like, um, you know, this fantastic duel between two giants or, or some other bullshit. It really kind of felt like that, where everyone was saying, wow, this is like an instant NBA Finals classic. And I really thought, no, this game is really just nine players out before. Uh, one team, you know, should be killing it. And, you know, the second greatest player of all time is basically making this game entertaining. Um, because I saw LeBron do so many different things you know kind of opening up that showcase of versatility that he's really known for um pulling up from you know way outside beyond the three shooting it like steph kind of running the floor in that kind of kevin durant kind of swagger manner i saw him shoot from the elbow i saw him take it uh in down down low um you know i even saw some off the ball movement and i saw him play some defense like you know, this was really shouldn't be remembered as kind of why LeBron deserves to kind of be in that in that top echelon of NBA players. Uh, but unfortunately, J.R. Smith uh, didn't want to see LeBron leave yet. Um, I do think it's interesting that for as much as kind of was made for LeBron to reach eight straight finals, uh, these Warriors, uh, discounting Kevin Durant, have reached four straight finals. So do you think it's really that impressive that LeBron has gone eight straight times when these Warriors and before that the Miami Heat went to four straight finals? I think it I think LeBron's is not more not only more impressive because of the years, but also because of he's had a lot of team turnover and he's had 
I think he's had more injuries to deal with than the Warriors have had. You know, it feels like the Warriors the past couple years, there's always one playoff series and sometimes even two where a really good player on the other team is out. And that just, you hate it when that happens in the playoffs because it's just like, oh man, if our team was only at full strength, we could have had them. Like, think about the Pelicans, right? It's like, all those games are really close, except for, I think, one of them. And it's like, man, if they had just had one more thing, you know, or or think about, like, like, the 2015 series where it's LeBron without Kyrie and Love. Or, you know, and then, and then LeBron, you know, he's had... He's had people's best shots for a long time. And his really yeah. only awful one was was Boston not having both their players and then that year where Dwayne Wade looked like he needed crutches to play basketball. So would you consider this Golden State Warriors team uh to be the team of the decade? You know, or the, or the is the Golden State Warriors franchise, you know, the team of the decade uh starting from 2010 and going to 2019 that kind of stretch so when you're looking at this it's either golden state warriors from the past four years or it's miami heat of like the first four years right like those that's really the only argument um maybe you could fringe a spurs in there maybe um i think i think if you I would almost split it like a co-MVP type deal. Like, all right, Warriors get the second half. Miami Heat gets the first half. I think, you know, a lot of people like to match them up against each other and be like, okay, who would win for team of the decade? Uh, and that's a really tough one. I w- I'm going to put my money on the Warriors mm-hmm. just because they changed the way teams have to play so much more. And... They're, they play really smart, too. Whereas I feel like the Heat, it's like, all right, it's the LeBron and Dwayne Wade show. And, you know, Chris Bosh was kind of revolutionary at the time for being a space and, and shoot, you know, face-up tall man. But, you know, that's the whole Warriors team can do that. You know, how would you see Chris Chris Bosh, you know, on, a, on an island against Steph or KD? Like, that would... I wouldn't like that at all. But whereas, you know, LeBron and Dwayne Wade would just take anybody into the paint that whole time. And, you know, threes beat twos. So I would say the Warriors are the better team. Yeah, yeah I mean, I really th- uh, think the Miami Heat kind of were that transition team that kind of opened it up to this new era of pace and space. Like you said, with Chris Bosh kind of playing the five, um, Udonis Haslam playing the four sometimes, uh, having Norris Cole. Uh, you know, play like such a small guard, um, just kind of letting LeBron kind of be the guy to dictate play. Um, does does that decision kind of does it become more tilted towards the Warriors if they win the series? No, because I think everybody expects the Warriors to win anyways, so they've kind of already attributed that to them. I think the arguments for the Warriors are the win series of. Two years ago, the record wins, and then the last year's team with Kevin Durant that just like basically only had to play three quarters the whole year. Yeah. However, the yeah. one the one thing I will give Miami is the they kind of revolutionized that whole like blitz trap point guards on defense thing, which I think would really cause a lot of problems for the Warriors. Yeah, I mean I think this Warriors team uh, in like five, six minute stretches, it's probably the best team I've ever seen, but only in those like five, six minute, you know, kind of stretches, like half quarters or maybe a whole quarter. Like, I just, I've, I, I don't know if this Warriors team can really, you know, be one of those like all time great teams when they don't really, like, I've never really seen them play a whole game since that first run to the finals that they made in 2014-2015. Um, kind of since then, I've always seen kind of the Warriors kind of play this kind of cruise control in and out, and then they'll find a way, especially in that third quarter, which is like their their kind of their their MO um, for really dominating. Um, do you think the 
with the the scare last night in game one um are the are the warriors um not just vulnerable but like is their dominance over the league starting to wane i think what's going to wane the dominance is how they keep the team together i think they're they're still going to play well and i think they can they can flip that chemistry flip switch around the whatever's screwing up their play style i think they can they can kind of get their mojo back and i mean and one of the craziest things about the warriors honestly is you can be down 15 and then in just like three minutes the warriors will be back up by six that's just you know when it rains it can pour with that team in no way that any other team has been able to do that so i i don't want to count them out and i and you know they've got the most the best three-point shooters in history on that team so they can keep it together and still have a bench that resembles anything better than the Cavs bench. Uh, they can they can be at the top still. Now, if other teams catch up to them, hey, that's that's their own fault. But the Warriors are still the best, most revolutionizing team in basketball. Oh wow, high praise! I I actually think uh, this is the start of the end of the Warriors uh, dynasty. Um, and I think it actually has not a lot to do with the players and more to do with the management of the team. Uh, Steve Kerr is going to retire. Um, and number two, Jerry West is no longer the GM of the Golden State Warriors. And I think him being able to facilitate uh, the different trades, different roster moves over the last um five six years i think has really kind of made the team what it is um and i don't know if him, him not being there is going to create a wrinkle in that team chemistry that's you know isn't really going to be able to hold together um all right i've got two more pieces uh to roll through a little bit more lighthearted, uh more impressive from a uh like kind of best individual performance uh, kind of perspective. Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star or LeBron James winning this final series? Which would be more impressive, Matt? Um, golly, holy smokes. Um, I'm going to hate to say this, but I'm going to say <laughs> Luke blowing up the Death Star. And the, right. the only reason why <laughs> is is he didn't use a targeting computer. <laughs> but, but LeBron James and J.R. Smith, I mean... Yeah, what's, but what's Luke the, has, what's a, the has bigger a little hand? robot trolling him the whole time. <laughs> All right, a more impressive run. LeBron James from April 2007 onwards or the Marvel Cinematic Universe from May 2008 onwards, beginning with the first Iron Man movie. Who's had a better run? Ron James or uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Is it like up to date, like up to now? Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go up to now. They're, they're both pretty much still ongoing. Um, they're both still, you know, blockbusters in their respective contexts. So let's go uh, LeBron from 2007 onwards and uh, Marvel from 2008 onwards. So basically from Iron Man 1 up till now and LeBron James from that Pistons game where he scored like 25 straight, put up a 48-point night till now. I'm going to go with LeBron James. Wow. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe... I think Iron Man 1 was, was a little bit of a rocky start. They had a little bit of mojo going before then, but, you know, on and off movies here there. You'd see one every couple of years. I'm sure they've been churning out blockbusters because, like, every six months. But the quality has not improved from a plot standpoint, in my opinion, or, like, really a writing standpoint. Like, it's always... It feels like the same thing every time. 
the only thing that's evolved is how much money they're willing to throw at it to make the special <laughs> effects look good and to get to get a higher all-star cast whereas lebron has changed his game he's played with less and less people that are good uh, he's switched cities he's competition has evolved in different ways as well whereas what's marvel cinematic universe's competition like wonder woman from two years ago like no they've they've had the superhero market you know monopolized since 2010 for sure all right i've got one more quick follow-up and then we can head out until the weekend uh what would you consider to be the J.R. smith moment of the marvel cinematic universe what movie is sort of the equivalent of J.R. smith's you know basically career defining moment as it's going to become wow uh, <laughs> i would have to say I'd have to say Iron Man 2 or Thor 2 because I hated both of those movies and I felt like they were just ridiculously poorly done on multiple levels. And I'm sure the Marvel guys were like, oh yeah, this will be a great follow-up movie. Oh yeah, I'm sure we're up one point. Uh, All right, you heard, it, you heard it here first in Heart in the Paint. J.R. Smith is the Thor 2 of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that will do it for us this week on Harden the Paint Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud and YouTube. You can email us at the description below and uh, feel free to send us any comments or concerns wherever you might be watching or listening to this podcast. We will see you, um, I believe, Monday for the Game 2 analysis and predictions and whatever else we end up coming up with a special shout out to all of our sponsors and our continual viewer of the fortnite david ovaries with that have a fantastic weekend folks